Hello, I'm Alec Wilkinson. This is Sailing Uncovered, episode 21. Coming up, we talk to the man you've sponsored to break around the world sailing record. Alex Alley has crowdfunded his campaign. We'll hear from him. But first, can you remember always having to make do with second place at school or in sports club or in your sailing club at regattas because you're unlucky enough to have a boy or girl in the same class or club or squad, whatever, who were simply blessed with talent and were effectively unbeatable. You kind of loved and hated them at the same time, didn't you? Well, it must be a bit like that being a New Zealand 49er sailor just as you start thinking that you might win that one and only spot on the team to represent your country at Tokyo 2020, Peter Burling and Blair Chuke decide they're going to make an Olympic comeback. Arguably the best sailing partnership of our time, you know, Olympic champions, multi-world titles, America's Cup, blah, blah, blah. Well, between them, they've won almost everything. So how does the rest of the 49ers squad feel when they heard that the dynamic duo were back. Well, who better to ask than Burling and Tuke's training partner from the last games, Logan Dunningbeck, currently helming with 49er partner Oscar Gunn. Great names, by the way, don't you think? And I caught up with Dunningbeck at the Tokyo 2020 sailing venue on Enoshima Island. And he started off by telling me just how his Dunningbeck-Gunn partnership came about almost bang on one year since we started doing racing overseas together. We were first regatta together in Gamagori just down the coast this time last year. Um, so we haven't been sailing together that long, but really enjoying it. Um, learning a lot, which is um, important and, and makes it fun and, and just getting out there and trying to enjoy the racing. How do those partnerships, how are they built? Does a coach come along and say, I think you two guys would work well together, or, or is it, does it come from you? Oh, I think down in New Zealand, we, we like to run our own programs, um, each individual team or group or, or just individual sailors. So it's, it's very much up to, up to us to put it together and, and to get it going. And, and then um, and from there, uh, join in with the larger the larger sailing team and, and start to learn and develop as a group. But the, the initial stages are all just a choice that we make ourselves. And in the 49er, how important is, is that partnership? Oh, look, I, think it's, I think it's very important for any double-handed or, or larger sailing team. Um, any more than one person, then there's going to be a relationship on board and, and how you develop that and, and utilise that to, to race more effectively is uh, a very important part of, of that group. I'm interested in the psychology uh, of it in as much as, you know, you, you face um, uh, Burling and Tuke, you know, some of the biggest names in, in sailing, and you must get sick of being asked about this. Um, but so where do you see yourselves fit in against them now that they've come back into the fold? Um, yeah, we get asked about, well, you get asked about once a week at the moment, and the other guys the same, but there's, there's, there's no rivalry amongst the New Zealand team you know we we all get on really well together and I think it's really important that that everyone understands that we're we're all mates we all like the same things off the water as well okay okay so I, I get that right and and I'm sure that's that's the official view but there must have been a point where when they announced that they were coming back to Olympic sailing that you guys went oh no I don't believe it uh 
No, it's it the opposite. I mean, we were we were all anticipating it at, at some point. Um, when we didn't know, but it, okay. you know, we we all knew that that it was going to happen, right. um, and it was just a case of when. And we we're all looking forward to them actually starting to sail the boat again. So at the moment they're busy. Um, their, their time's pretty occupied with a, with a lot of other things. Um, America's Cup being being one of the obvious ones. And so the, they're yet to, to start sailing again, but it will, I'm sure it will happen soon. Um, and I'm sure they will let everyone know when they do. And, and we're looking forward to that because there's, there's three of us who are, well, we think we're reasonably good at the moment. We're not winning anything um, and we want to be winning. And of course they know how to win and, and they'll have a lot of things to offer the New Zealand sailing group when they come back. And, and hopefully we have something to offer them and, and I'm sure it'll all work really well. As a, as a partnership, um, are you and Oscar looking long term, because you're younger obviously than um, Burling and Tuke, um, are you looking at not Tokyo but the next Olympic Games? Is, is that your motivation? Uh, no, we, we want to win now. We, if we could go and win tomorrow, that's that's what we want to do. Yeah. We want to win this regatta, we want to win the next regatta, and, and we want to win the Olympics. The same as Josh and Trent, and the same as Isaac and William, and the same as Pete and Blair. Okay, so, but only one team can go and represent New Zealand in, in Tokyo. So, do you think, even if you were performing better, that the selectors would say, no, Burling and Tuka staying at home? That would be a big call, wouldn't it, from them? Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, that's that, that's certainly a possibility. Um, but it's entirely out of our hands, so our job is to go and win, and win by as much as we can and as often as we can. And actually, for a start, just start winning. <laughs> <laughs> and just to, to prove that, that we are the better team, if, if that's the way it goes. Okay, let, let's talk about um, the Youth America's Cup, which you did uh, about a year, year and a half ago now, in Bermuda. Uh, what was that like as an experience? Oh, it was fantastic. Um, it was one of the one of the most enjoyable regattas I've had the privilege of being involved in. Thinking, and I'm sure the rest of the Kiwi team would would say the same thing. It was um, it was fast, it was exciting, and it was yeah, it was really well put together. It was just a great regatta. Yeah. So your career, um, if you think about it, is kind of mirroring. Um, Burling's career because he was Youth America's Cup. Then he went on to skipper um, Emirates Team New Zealand. Is is that where you'd like to be in? I don't know, five years' time. <laughs> I think the, the the PC answer would be to say yes, but to be honest, I haven't haven't stopped to think about it. Um, really? We, I've never considered it to be a career, um, <laughs> which is possibly a different viewpoint than a lot of the sailors in the boat park share. I. I I'm studying and I think that is a career and the sailing is something that I like to do and it's a passion. It's not on the side, but it, it is a, it's a passion, not a job. Um, well, that's, that's interesting because in many ways um, that takes the pressure off you a little bit maybe? Yeah, well... Uh, and, and, and by that I don't mean to... I, I don't mean it takes your... it lowers your expectations, but maybe it just takes the pressure off. Yeah, I... I'd hate to think of sailing as a, a means to an income 
Um, that would be fantastic if it could provide an income and obviously in the case of a lot of professional sailors around the world it, it provides them with a fantastic lifestyle and, and an income but I certainly don't view it that way. We, we want to go to the Olympics to win and if that means we're broke for a long time then, then so be it. We want, we want to go and we want to win and wherever that takes us afterwards we'll have to wait and see. In the case of Pete and Blair it's, you know, it's taken them a long way and they're fantastic sailors and and they're at the, the top of their game and the top of the world and, and the Olympic side and the America's Cup side. So, you know, there's certainly opportunities out there. What are you studying? Tell us about that. I'm studying mechanical engineering um, okay. very slowly at the University <laughs> of Auckland. If you like sailing, it's a, it's a great university to be involved in. They've uh, got a lot of equipment for testing of boats, um, wind flow tunnels and, and composite materials centre. Um, so it's a, it's a great place to be if you like composites and you like boats, which is sort of where I've, I've leant towards slowly over the years. Here in Enoshima, you, you kind of feel there's um, a lot of Olympic history um, after the 1964 Games. I mean, that was you know, so long ago. Um, but the place is uh, surrounded on the walls. You've got black and white photos of the event. Um, we're recording this interview in what they call the Olympic Memorial Room. Um, there are plaques on the walls and so on. You kind of feel that they're... There's history here, and they're really looking forward to hosting the games. Yeah, look, it, it would appear that they really are, are proud of the the games, and they really like to celebrate the history of it. And there's a lot of volunteers here. There's a lot of employees here working really hard to to make this test event a fantastic regatta. And I'm sure with um, with the amount of skill they have here in Japan, the games will be a fantastic regatta. Logan Dunning back there. Right, let's hear from a man that. I first spoke to about a year and a half ago on our Sailing Uncovered live show. Um, And back then, in my mind anyway, you know, a year and a half seemed a million miles away. But for Alex Alley, his dream of sailing solo, non-stop, around the world and doing it as the fastest man uh, was already really coming together. And a year and a half didn't seem that long to him. Well... That year and a half has gone. He's about to set sail. Have I got that record right? Non-stop solo around the world. It is. Uh, there's little addendum to that because it's a monohull 40 feet and under. So it's, it's the smallest size category of, uh, of has, the world record. It has been done a few times, but in different types of boat. Correct. Correct. The 40 foot category has, has been done once before successfully. That was four years ago. Okay, so remind us of, of the date of departure, because it's coming up. It is. It's The plan is to leave the UK around the 29th, 30th, the very, very last few days of October. We'll sail to boat to Brest. Uh, we'll base ourselves there for a few days, just waiting for the final sort of weather window and, the, and the, just to make sure everything's 100%. And then, so very, very early November, I'll be off. Now, the last time we spoke was actually on stage during the, the live version of, of the Sailing Uncovered podcast. Mike Golding was on stage as well. Yeah. And that was about 18 months ago. How different are you feeling right now? Is there a real sense of urgency, trepidation, excitement? What, what is it? It is. And it's only really changed in the last, probably the last month, uh, when everything has just suddenly accelerated. And I mean, I, I'm sat in my lounge at the moment looking at one, two, three, four parcels that have arrived this morning, four big boxes. And there's another one due in this afternoon. Uh, and I, I'm getting it's like Christmas every day. Every day the postman comes, the courier comes and is unloading something else for the boat. 
I've got a stack of kit in the corner that's all ready to go down to the boat. And I start looking at all this and it's like, this is real. <laughs> this is very real. Now, all that kit costs money. And I know that um, the last time we spoke, um, a lot of the conversation was all about you trying to raise the money to do this. In the end, you came up with a pretty original formula. It's, uh, it's crowdfunded, effectively. It's called the Pixel Boat Campaign. So the idea came around about nine years ago when I was trying to do a mini transat campaign and uh, trying to raise the money for that. And trying to find a single sponsor was just seemingly impossible. It was getting very, very hard. Uh, so I then thought, why don't I get 10 companies to sponsor me a tenth as much, which seemed a lot more palatable. But then that didn't seem to be working. And then very, very quickly, I then thought, well, why don't I just get hundreds or even thousands of people to sponsor a tiny, tiny chunk of the campaign? And they can have their photo or logo on the side of the boat. Bit of a logistical nightmare to actually achieve all of that but we found a solution to it we've got the pictures appearing on the boat now and people are now well have been for a, for a number of years now buying photos but it's literally in the last two or three months when the whole thing like i say has just accelerated and people are phoning me in offering me money and product and all sorts of things and it's I'm thinking, why? where were these people two years ago when I had all the time in the world? And now suddenly people say, oh, what about this? What about this? I think, yes, brilliant. But I've only got 30 days to fix it. <laughs> so th th there's, I mean, there's all sorts of things happening and coming in it, which, which is brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. But even yesterday was a mad day for me. I, I had a fundraising evening last week during the boat show, and we raised some money for that. And that, I thought, that, was right now, I some, that was in Southampton Boat Show. And yeah. I thought, brilliant, I can do some more jobs now. And one of, one of the jobs that's been, been niggling away at me was I wanted to replace the rod rigging because you know, the boat's been around the world once before and so is the rigging. And it, it's certainly something I wanted to replace, but you know, it's a pile of money I never had. And the annoying thing is the mast was out of the boat earlier this year and I would have had it done then, but just didn't have the funds to do it. And then suddenly we've got half the funding to do it. And I thought, well... In for a penny, in for a pound. So yesterday I was running around with a crane lifting the mast out, and the mast came out, all the rods came off it. They've gone down to the riggers uh, down in Plymouth. So the boat, when I was hoping to be sailing for the next two weeks, is now going to be without a mast for a couple of weeks. Ah. But it doesn't, yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. But the good thing is I will have complete new rigging for the boat. T tell us about your boat. You know, what is it? What's her name? You know, how, how do you feel about her at this point? In, in, I in love voyage? my boat. I love my boat. Uh, uh, I think one of the things with solo sailors is, is you, you do get a real uh, affection with for the boat, real affinity with the boat, which I think is very important. I'm spending a lot of time uh, with the boat. But she's a class 40. Uh, she's a Mark, she's a third generation class 40. She's an Acolaria RC2. Uh, built in Tunisia, French designed. Mark Lombard designed the boat. Built in Tunisia by MC Tech. What's she got below deck? Uh, not a lot. <laughs> it, it, it's pretty Spartan. It looks, it looks like a miniature Open 60. So if you know the Open 60s, the sort of Alex Thompson uh, and the likes race around the planet, it's, it's a sort of two-thirds look version of one of those. Uh, it's not carbon fibre. It, it, it's a foam sandwich uh, epoxy glass hull. Uh, with a fixed keel. There's no canting keel, but I have got water ballast. But inside the boat, it, it's pretty Spartan. You go down below, there, there's no bunks, there's no beds, there's no cushions. 
there's no cooker really. There's no toilet. So all of the superfluous cruising stuff you get, there's none of that on board. No toilets. I've got a bucket, which which is fantastic because it never gets blocked. <laughs> well, talking of, of blockages, what about food? Um, um, what, what are you packing? What are you taking? And how, how many days is the record that you're trying to break, by the way? Okay, the record was set four years ago in an identical boat, another Apollaria RC2, by a Chinese sailor called Gang Chuan. Uh, and the record he set was 137 days, 20 hours, 1 minute and 57 seconds. So the, the best part of four and a half months. Okay. Uh, so I'll leave beginning of November. I'll be back in March next okay. year. So w- what do you feed yourself? H- how are you going to you know, fit the boat with so many supplies? So I'll, I'll pack for 140 days. If I'm not back by then, then the record's long gone, so I'll just hit the nearest bit of land. So the food is mostly freeze-dried food. I've got a water maker on the boat, so I can suck in seawater. Uh, and generate fresh water from that. So I've got uh, a lot of freeze-dried food. I describe it as something like a posh pot noodle. So it, it's all powdered form. It's sort of pasta and noodles and stews and that sort of thing. Uh, and you boil up some water. Uh, so you boil up water, you pour it in, you stir it around, leave it for about 10 minutes to sort of reconstitute itself into an edible form. And then you have a spoon and you eat it. So 80% of my food is going to be freeze-dried. Uh, 20% of it's going to be boiled in the bag. So this is food that's already cooked. It's already reconstituted with water. So it's like uh, the constituency is like uh, like pet food. So if you open a, a can of dog something, it, it's, it's like that. It looks a bit like <laughs> that, but it tastes an awful lot better. It, it, they, they taste quite good. They've come a long way, I think, the, uh, the, the sort yeah. of ration packs. So the boil in the bag stuff, it's easy because you can open it and just eat it, but it, but it is heavy because it's got the water already in it. So that's, now, that's the trade-off. Is there a treat that you're going to you're going to put in there that you're not going to tell anyone about because you know? <laughs> but then you're make, you're sailing solo, so you're making your own rules, really. So if you Absolutely. want a, a bag of something or a big bar of chocolate, then you can jolly well do it, can't you? I am master of my own domain when I'm on the boat. Uh, treat-wise, I'm a bit like Alex Thompson in that fact. I do like dog scratchings, so I oh. think I'll take a, take a leaf out of Alex <laughs> Thompson's book and. Uh, Take some pork, take a little bag of pork scratchings uh, right. and, and chocolate. Chocolate's always good. But the problem I found uh, with chocolate, especially when you're around the tropics, uh, when I was racing around the world before, uh, we got to the tropics and it, it was getting hot. There's no fridge on the boat. So we had this one particular day. We had a, you know, the Terry's chocolate orange you get. They do it a bar version. And this one particular day, it was 100 degrees. Like that's really scorching hot. And uh, out came the chocolate box, and I picked up one of these little chocolate bars, these orange chocolate bars. And uh, it was it was like toothpaste consistency. It was all molten and gooey inside, which which was brilliant. So you just tear a corner off and then just squeeze it into your mouth. And oh, but that that was a real treat. So I might I might smuggle a few of those on board. Changing uh, tack slightly on a serious note, because we've seen um, the, the the trouble that um, some of the sailors in the Golden Globe race have, have had in in the Southern Ocean. What which bit are you most worried about, most concerned about? Is it the Southern Ocean, or do you have other concerns? There, there is another concern that that worries me more than the Southern Ocean. The Southern Ocean's is is an amazing place. I've been there twice before, and it is it's like nowhere else on the planet. But I've got an advantage, I think, over the Golden Globe competitors in that I've got uh, weather routing and I've got an external weather router as well. Uh, So I know what weather's coming. So if I've got enough warning, I can get out of the way, whereas they just have to deal with whatever's coming. So 
I think from my perspective, that's an advantage I've got over those guys. But one of the things that worries me more than anything, apart from not breaking the record, all this time and effort that's gone into this, sure. not to break the record would be tragic for me, is, is submerged objects. So containers, lumps of wood, big, hard things floating in the water, because you won't see them until they come through the side of the boat. And, and that, and there's a lot of it out there. You see a lot of debris floating around and that, that, that's, on one hand, it's a worry to me, but on the other hand, I try not to lose too much time about it because I can't do anything about it. So that's, to me, that's wasted time and effort worrying about something I can't control. You've mentioned, you know, that you've been down there a couple of times already, and we should emphasize that you didn't decide nine years ago to just sail around the world and break this record. You've got quite a pedigree uh, behind you. I've, I've been racing, racing all my life. I've been lucky enough to have represented England. Uh, and I've already set two yeah, it was world a match records. racing, wasn't it? It, it was team racing. Team it, racing. It, it, it was a team, yeah. team racing event. Yeah, that was many, many years ago. That was now. More recently, I, I set two world records in, in Pixel Fly in my class 40. Uh, that's the length of Britain record and the solo around the Isle of Wight record that I set last year. And I've got some more and lined up for when I get back. You'd just done that when we last met and you came to the, to the boat show to talk to us about that, um, which was intriguing because you chose to do it in early January 2017. That's right. Um, why? New Year's Day, in fact. <laughs> oh, right. Well, well I, I live down on the south coast. I live not far from the Isle of Wight. And uh, when I was looking at the world records to do, I thought, you know, around the island, that, that's got to be a, that's on my doorstep. It's, it's, it's a day sail, a half a day sail. And I can just jump on the boat. I can be in cows in an hour and a half and then do the records. So surely I can tick that one off quite quickly. But one of the problems I soon realized was in order to go around the island quickly, you need quite a specific uh, wind, either due north or due south, ideally, uh, for about six hours. And you don't that doesn't come along that often. And I was waiting for nearly eight months for wow. the right weather window to come along. You know, I was thinking, great, you know, I can look out the window one day and it'll be look at the forecast for tomorrow and brilliant. But it's predominantly westerlies that come in down here. Uh, and it does go south. It goes all around the compass. But uh, trying to find that extended period of time of, of enough wind from a set direction for a long enough period of time, I was amazed at how infrequently it did come along. So January or well, New Year's Day it was uh, last year. Uh, very, oh, very cold. Great way to start the year. It was. It went, started with a bang for sure. And hopefully next year we'll start with another good, good bang as well. So you mentioned that you know you've been uh, sailing competitively um, all your life, um, but you've been you're, you've been competitive generally, haven't you, all your life? Because you, you do a bit of motorsport as well. I, I, I I'm a petrol head. I you know if, if I was I've always said if I wasn't racing boats, I'd be racing motorbikes or well, cars. So, so that's the question: Why are you in a boat, and why are you not racing cars? Uh, it's a very good question. Uh, boats, boats were more accessible to me at the time. I grew up in Ramsgate, uh, in, in Kent. And, and south boats coast. were, boats were more accessible. Right on the south, right on the southeast tip of England. Uh, and boats were more accessible, so I just, I just got into boats. And I love it. I, I wouldn't change my life for anything. I love it. <laughs> um, if, if you could, which car would you like to drive or race? 
No, I, you, I, a, are you a NASCAR type of person no, or a Formula no, I'm, One? Or? I'm, I'm a single-seater person. Uh, I've been lucky enough to actually have driven a Formula One car. It was an old one. It was a 1996 uh, ex-Formula One car that did race. Wow. Uh, that was pretty awesome. But I found it quite intimidating. It, it was a physically big car, hugely powerful. Uh, but earlier in the day, I'd driven a Formula Three, which was a smaller version of it. And I actually found that a lot more fun than the Formula 3. It wasn't that much slower, but it didn't feel quite so intimidating. Rather, sitting in this absolutely priceless, irreplaceable Formula 1 car, I'm in a sort of semi-production Formula 3, and you could be a bit more of a hooligan with it, and it was, I find it more fun. Which is pretty much how any of us would feel getting on your boat, really, if you suddenly said, oh, there you go, take this for a sail. I'd be like, oh, no. Yeah, As I say, for me, the Class 40 is is a similar analogy with an Open 60 and the Class 40. The Open 60s are hugely fast, especially now with the foils. And a lot of people say, you know, when you get back, you go and do the Open 60 Monday. I don't think so. I don't think so. It, I, I would find the 60s very intimidating. It's, I don't know, it's a lot more manageable. It's, it, you can be a bit of a hooligan with it and you can get away with it to a point. But when they... No, they are still hugely powerful boats, and when they do bite, they do bite. So, have you had any um, top tips from any of uh, any of the world's top sailors? I've spoken to a few of the Vendée guys, and one one thing that one theme that comes across is when you're racing solo, it, it's very different to the same as it is racing with a crew, uh, or when you're racing around the cans as opposed to transocean, and it's as much, if not more, important about looking after yourself and the boat rather than just pushing for outright speed because there, there's that old adage in order to finish first first you have to finish yeah so i mean the, the golden globe is, is a good example you see these guys and girls out there uh and it's how much do you push the boat because if if you lose the rig or if you break something or if you injure yourself then that that's it so it's not about pushing the boat to the to the 100 percent of its performance it's about managing yourself and managing the boat still you've still got to push obviously but it, it's it's a different it's a different sort of mindset to it than it is racing with a crew or racing around the cans is there still room on the boat if, if someone wants to get their photo on the hull there, there is still room time is is the issue so what i've said is on the 13th of october i'm having a bit of a leaving party in gosport down at uh, the, the boathouse in gosport marina and that's on the 13th of october and that's going to be the last day that people really are going to be able to buy pixels because we just won't have the time after that to print them and get them put on the side of the boat. Okay. So there is, there is space. It's just and how do they do it? The easiest way to do it is to go to my website, which is alexalley.com, and uh, there's a link on there that says buy pixels, or failing that, they can just email team at alexalley.com, uh, email a photo, and we'll, we'll help you with the rest of it. If you could choose from the whole world, right, and, and they want to come and sail with you. So it's you and this other person. Who would you not choose? Who would you not want to sail around the world with? Who would I not choose? Yeah. That's oh, put so, you on the spot, hasn't it? It has. It, it, <laughs> it would be somebody with a negative attitude. In, in my life, if you want to go and do something, then you, you, you go and do it. You find a way to do it. It's not never going to be easy, but if you really want to do it, you go and do it. I've well, not got I... time for people that say, no, you can't. Which explains your choice of fiancé, Paula Reed, who's as big an adventurer as you are, if not bigger. She's the crazy one that skis to the South Pole and 
lives with the cannibals in the jungles and things like that. I'm the boring one. She does all the exciting stuff. <laughs> I, I just go say she's just uh, she's just done a master's in positive psychology, master's degree, and she's launched a new discipline called adventure psychology because everyone knows of sports psychology. But the thing with sports psychology is it, it, it's around a defined set of rules, like a game or 100 metres or whatever it is. Whereas adventure psychology, which is she's an adventurer, her background, is going knowingly into the unknown. So you can prepare for things. We don't really know what's going to happen until you get there. And then you have to deal with it. So she's been coaching me. She's She's got a questionnaire for me to fill out every day and send back from my state of mind and things like that. So, but yeah, so it, it, it's been good. It's been good training for me, mind training. What sort of contact are you going to have with Shaw? How can we stay in touch with the voyage and how are you getting on? Very recently, I've been doing some work with Portsmouth University. I'm doing some research for them uh, as I go around the planet. And they've, uh, one of their suppliers has actually sponsored my satellite communications. So I'll be on email. I'll be able to update Twitter and Facebook and the website. Uh, I'll, I'll write a, a newsletter. I'll carry on with the newsletter I write now. Be blogging every day. There's a tracker on the website. Again, there's a tracker link, the yellow brick tracker. So that, that'll be updated and people can follow me through that every hour. That'll show my position and I'll be up writing little blogs every so often, once a week, two, three, four times a week, maybe. I want to try and keep as live and up to date with things as, as I can all the while I'm going around. Are you, are you going to be sending back any like video diaries or is that too expensive? I, 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 it's not a case that it's expensive because I've got an unlimited data package. The, the problem is the bandwidth. It's, it's such a slow connection. It, it's not got the bandwidth to send video, unfortunately. Okay. So I can, send, I can send photos. I can send as many photos as I like. But, I mean, it'll take me... 20 minutes to send a photo a 100k oh, okay. photo so vi video would just take you know it would, <laughs> it would still be uploading by the time i finished alex thanks for giving us your time just as it's getting really really busy for you best of luck for the voyage itself lovely thanks very much alex cheers well, that's it from Sailing Uncovered this month. You can watch that interview with Alex Alley on our YouTube channel and details of his voyage and how you can buy pixels are up on our Facebook page, but time is running out to do that. Uh, just before I go, apologies if you're one of those subscribers who received a sudden delivery of old episodes of the podcast. Uh, we had a technical issue called jet lag and brain drain uh, that meant they were deleted and then republished but uh, hey there you go they're always worth listening to at least twice aren't they hope you enjoyed the show from me alec wilkinson till next time it's goodbye